My text I take from St. Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I am reminded, says Paul, of the sincerity of your faith. That is why I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is yours. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his protégé, his messenger, who he sent to carry on his, his ministry because circumstances have, have, have uh, conspired to prevent Paul doing so himself. Now, Timothy is a man of faith. Commissioned and trained by the apostle himself, he's been Paul's constant companion, accompanying him on those mission journeys. But now, Timothy is out on his own, and he's a bit scared. It's one thing to be the disciple, the, the, the sidekick of a great apostle, a charismatic uh, sort of person like Paul, but it's quite another to stand alone, entrusted with this priceless message and the commission to proclaim it. Now, if you like, he's a minister in his own right, and he has to stand on his own feet. He's no longer the curate, he's the incumbent. The buck stops here. So Paul is writing in his inimitable way to encourage him, to remind him of the essentials of that gospel of which he's been called to be an ambassador. Well, I guess there are many of us, ministers, elders, church leaders and members alike, who have the same kind of hesitations and fears about being disciples of Jesus Christ, about being his messengers, his ambassadors out in that difficult world out there. Like Timothy, we, are, we face a lot of pressures of society which is apathetic, even at times increasingly antagonistic to the gospel. The demands of the gospel itself seem to be somehow beyond our capabilities. We're afraid of being inadequate, sidelined, even ridiculed by those around us of unknown hurdles we have to cross. You remember John Buchan, the, the, the famous author, and he wrote of his father, who was an austere Scottish minister. He said this, he believed profoundly in the fact of conversion, the turning of the face to a new course. But the first step having been taken, he would insist on the arduousness of the pilgrimage, as well as its moments of high vision and its ultimate reward. His religion was tender and humane, but it was also well-girded. He had no love 
for those who took their ease in Zion. What a wonderful phrase that is. His religion was well girded. You can just imagine it, can't you? One of my great pleasures, I think, uh, being for 12 years um, a, a synod moderator through the 1980s was visiting churches, calling on ministers, attending elders' meetings, and seeing the enormous fellowship of dedicated, hard-working Christians serving the churches throughout that synod. Now, over the years, I have uh, identified, and I'm generalizing, you understand, very broadly, three sorts of Christians. First, are what I would call the average Christians. They have deep within them a sense, some would call it conscience, others superstition, that they ought to worship God and support the church. So, when no more attractive uh, alternative presents itself, they, they come to Sunday service. They, they put a donation in the plate from time to time. They may even turn up at a, a church meeting or event. Their Christianity is based on an inner compulsion, which they don't fully understand. They can't really articulate. Yet, in their limited way, they belong to Jesus and they try to follow him. Then, secondly, there is that category I call the busy Christians. Those on whom every church depends because they invest so much of themselves in maintaining its life and its activity. They're the, the relatively small band of the faithful who, who do the jobs, who raise the money, who visit the, the, the sick, and who train the young, who expend themselves that the, the church of Christ may survive and continue. Now, they belong to Jesus. They express that belonging through committed service to his church. But then finally, there are what I would describe as the radiant Christians. Sometimes they're busy Christians, but sometimes they're not. But one doesn't judge them by judge their, their, their discipleship um, by what they do, but somehow by, by who they are and what they are. You see, there's something of the peace, the light, the joy of Jesus which radiates out from them. Somehow you just know they have been with Jesus. They, they possess, they exude an assurance which most of us seek and long for. Now what is it? that makes the difference. Paul puts it like this. We have been justified by faith. We are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have been allowed to enter the sphere of God's 
grace. The sphere of God's grace. Now such folk uh, realize and believe that we don't earn God's love and mercy by going to church, by visiting the sick, by living clean, moral lives. I think Dawn expressed it beautifully a little earlier this morning. But we have peace with God through his free gift. His free gift. I had a a, a doctor friend in my uh, first church. Uh, His wife came regularly. But he was something of an agnostic, and he only appeared on special occasions. And I remember going to talk to him about the baptism of one of his daughters. And as we went through the spiel, he he said to me suddenly, what is grace? Well, I had been to theological college. I had read all the right books. I'd listened to the lectures. Um, no doubt I answered the examination questions or I wouldn't be standing here now. But at that moment, I realized to my horror that I could not answer him in straightforward, down-to-earth terms that he was going to understand. You see, the discovery, the understanding of God's grace is one of the most wonderful things in the Christian pilgrimage. Over the course of a long ministry now, a number of books have had a profound effect on me, shaping my my thinking. And most of those lie well in the past. But the most recent is Philip Jance's What's So Amazing About Grace, which you may remember Mike uh, Gardner quoted in, in one of his sermons not so long ago, and Alex Hall reviewed in Good News last winter. And it brought home to me better, I think, than anything else, just how great is God's goodness and grace. God, in his infinite mercy, has given himself to us in Jesus. Nothing we can ever earn or deserve. Everything is God's free gift. Our food, our clothes, our homes, our families, our friends, our jobs, our church, even the the very gift of life itself are ours by God's grace. Because he loves us. As a father, he gives free gifts to his children. Grace is an absolute gift, freely given out of love. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, 
but now I see. Do you remember that uh, wonderful evangelistic song? We're going to sing it later. Um, uh, that actually came rose up in in the in in the pops, the pop charts, not so very long ago. You see, to understand, to accept, to take to oneself in faith that amazing grace of God is what makes the difference between being an average Christian, even a busy Christian, and a radiant Christian. But God's total offering of himself to us in Jesus demands a total response in us. And that, I think, is where the radiance actually comes in. I remember many years ago now, I uh, came across it again, not uh, recently, Graham Turner in the Daily Telegraph writing a pretty devastating critique on the theme, How Fares the Church of England? He accused them of making low demands and having correspondingly low expectations. To take a new convert to many Anglican churches would be like putting a live chick under a dead hen, he said. <laughs> the trouble, he went on, is that priests expect regularity of worship but rarely require total commitment, total surrender to God. And when I reread that just recently, I said to myself, I wonder whether we in the URC or indeed any of the other churches are much better. Strangely enough, we live in a world which isn't really interested, if we're honest, in the church, but which yearns for the salvation, for the revolution of Jesus. They long for that radiance which only a true disciple can exude. People are looking for the mark of the cross in us, the light which Jesus alone can shed in the darkness of this world, and often has shed through, through people like Mother Teresa, like Roger Schultz of Teze, like uh, Desmond Tutu and Dom Helder Camara of Brazil, and many other radiant Christians who never hit the headlines. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. There are, it is said, too many who are prepared to serve God, just in an advisory capacity, you understand. God's total giving of himself to us, his grace, demands a total response. A willingness to accept him in complete faith, to entrust our whole self to him, so that the light and the love of the risen Christ can, can radiate out from him through us. The late Bruce Kenrick, who was one of our inner city ministers when I was working in London, put it in his book, The New humanity like this. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so 
send I you. Now he had been sent to identify himself unreservedly with men, their griefs, their sufferings, to penetrate to the depths of their lives, to be wounded, to bleed, to die. That is how the Father sent him. Now I send you. The URC basis of union, that's the nearest we come to having a constitution, if you like, sets out our responsibility under God like this. To live out in joyful and sacrificial service to all men, in all the variety of their physical and spiritual needs, that ministry of caring, forgiving and healing love which Christ brought to all whom he met. Above the, the moderator's um, seat at a, uh, a synod meeting not so long ago hung the legend, Christ's people, transformed by the gospel, making a difference. And so the likes of you and I, the ordinary and even the busy Christians of today, look rather wistfully at this picture of the radiant Christian and we sigh because we feel we cannot attain such heights. I think we, we feel a little bit like Martha, uh, busy doing her best in the kitchen round the back while somebody else is stealing the limelight. Cheer up. I am sure that Timothy felt just like that. Paul's word to him, I think, was a word to us too. In a sense, it may be a word for the whole Christian family at this particular juncture in our pilgrimage. I remind you, says Paul, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is yours. You see, it's there. It's right inside all of us. It's ours. It's God's free gift. And it just needs to be awoken, to be stirred up, to be allowed to reign in our lives. In other words, we've got the gifts. We've got the resources. Every single one of us, we all have it within us to be radiant Christians. And so like Timothy, we have the power, the, the capability to proclaim, to live out in our lives the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We have the assurance that can transform individual lives and the life of the church, and so in turn the life of our society, uh, the world in which we live. By God's grace, the gift is ours. So... Fan into flame the gift of God, which is yours. And let your light so shine before others that they may see the good that you do and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.